0: Right now, whether you know it or not, God is working. He's working all around you. He's working in your life. Did you see him? Did you experience him? Have you witnessed what he is doing? One of the great tragedies amongst God's people is that while we have this deep longing to hear from Jesus, to see him working, to see God working in our lives, too often we miss what God is doing. We don't see what he's doing in our lives. We want to, but then we, don't, we just miss it. We don't see it. So, so far in our Advent journey, we've talked about a few things and we didn't get the Advent candles out, so we're going to have to pretend like them this morning. Uh, the first candle in our Advent journey, we went back to the very beginning, that the story of Christmas, it hasn't been canceled, that's what we're talking about. In this cancel culture that we're in, uh, this story is still real, it's still alive. And we went back to where the story began and that was the first candle that we lit this Advent season, was in the very beginning that right there where everything began when sin entered the picture, that's where God began his redemptive work and that's where the story of Christmas begins. And it was the very first promise of the Bible. Sin enters the picture and God is going to chase the, uh, the human couple, Adam and Eve, out of the garden. But he gives a promise and he says that there will be enmity between the serpent and the woman, uh, between the devil and between all of humanity. But yet the woman's heel. Will bruise the head of that serpent. And that is a picture. It's a looking forward. It's a promise to the coming of Jesus Christ. So that's where this whole Christmas story begins. And then last week, we lit our second candle. And the second candle is that we are to be patiently waiting. So, how many of you learned any patience this week? Nobody's learned any patience. I'm not going to pray for it, okay? I'm not going to go there. But we're to be patiently waiting. And in our hurry-up society, so often we want God to work. We want God to do things now. We We want things on our time schedule. We want our popcorn to pop faster. And yet, so often in Scripture, the Bible presents this idea that we're to slow down. We're to be patient, and we're to wait. We're in a society that says, you know, don't just stand there, do something. And yet, God so often says, No, I want you to stand there and do nothing because I want you to wait on me and I want you to be patient for me coming. And the entire Old Testament was a time that the Jewish people were patiently waiting. So that was the second candle. Now we're going to light our third candle in the Advent season. And I think this is interesting. This was a concept. I brought it up a little bit last week, but it captured my idea so much uh, that this was our third candle, but the idea of the watchman, that there was this watchman in the Old Testament. And we read that scripture last week and the watchman would go on the city walls and would watch around the city to see if anybody was coming against them. If there was a campfire that shouldn't be where a campfire shouldn't be. And he would wait for the sun to come up. That's what we talked about last week. He was patiently waiting, but he was also watching. And I love that idea. And that's the third candle that we're lighting that we are called to be watchmen and we're watching for what Jesus is doing. We're watching for him to show up. The whole Old Testament was a waiting and a watching for the Messiah. But I think even in the New Testament we're still to be watching as we're in this time of waiting. A few years ago, I taught through a, a material. It was an interesting material uh, by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. Michelle took several ladies groups through that at our first church and our second church. And one of the core principles in this book is that we are to become experts at waiting and watching. We're to pray and carefully watch for what God is doing in the world. And then we're to join God in that work. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But let's go to prayer, and let's ask God to talk to us, and let's ask God to show us His ways. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for this Advent season, I thank You for this time that we can gather together and celebrate the story that has not ended. It, it continues yet today, this Christmas story. And so, Father, as we, we learn patience and we learn to wait last week, Father, we don't just idly wait. We don't idly just stand there and do nothing. We are in that waiting, watching. And so, Father, help us to learn uh, the ideas. Help us to become watchmen, looking for what you're doing in our world and around us so that we can join you in that work. So, Father, teach us this morning and walk with us, I pray. Amen. Well, the story has begun. And now we wait, and now we watch. God did not set the world in motion and then leave and go on a vacation or go about other work somewhere else in the universe. And by the way, there's other religions, that's what they sort of believe, that God sort of did things and then he took off. The Egyptians, the, some of the gods of the Egyptians, they, they put the world in motion, they made the pyramids to remember them by, and then those gods took off. And someday they may come back in alien ships or whatnot, we don't know, but those gods will come back. And the other religions have this idea that God did what he did and then he left. But only in Christianity, only in Judaism, where we get our, our faith from, it sort of comes from the Judaism or the line of the Jews, only in these religions do we serve a God that was actively involved in creation and then didn't take off, he hung out. He stayed and he worked in this creation and is still working in this creation yet today. So we believe that while the creation is a reality, the creator is still intimately involved in his creation. Now, the best way for me to explain this is by picture. So I thought about bringing my marker board and drawing drawings and whatnot, but I also knew we're going to have the big screen. Uh, So what I did is I made up a bunch of PowerPoints this morning that we're gonna walk through to sort of depict us a little bit. So let's jump to the first slide here. I'm gonna follow along on my stuff as well because I have some notes, bring that back up. The first picture that I'm putting up is this idea of God's moving through all of human history. So from the beginning of time, so and actually this arrow is a little small, it really would be much bigger because the Bible tells us there is no beginning and there is no end of God. So this is just human history's time. So God's involvement in our human society, our human civilization. And God from the very beginning all the way to the very end down there in Revelation, he is actively involved and moving his will through all of creation. And then there's little old me, little tiny me. This is a span of thousands of years, 6,000 some years, depending on how you divide it all up, but this is me, and probably this is a pretty generous helping of me in this whole time frame. So we first have to understand this, that God's movement has been big and been moving through all of human history. In fact, it's moving even bigger than human history. It's larger. You could put probably human society, the earth, maybe right here in this, but For the sake of understanding, this is this morning, you know, the earth's history here. And that's little old me, just a little dot there. So now what I want to do is I want to zoom in on this little me. So let's zoom in here and we're going to make this a lot bigger and we're going to make me a lot bigger. This is the reality of the world in which we live. So here, oh, I took me out. Me was right here. So I'm in here, but then we have all, (coughs) excuse me too much singing last night. Then we have all these other me's, all these other people uh, that are moving in human history as well. So all of us, all of us are up here somewhere. You know, you're up here, Vince, and Bobby, you're up here somewhere. Michelle, you're up here somewhere. We're all in this mix of human history with all of these different arrows. Now, let me give you a couple observations uh, that I just want to make, and there's sort of no duh, but I wanna not overstate the simple, I want you to see this. So here's a couple observations. Number one, this helps us begin to understand why there are so many collisions of ideas in our world today, why people are constantly colliding. Does this make sense? With all of the me's going in all of our different directions, sooner or later, they're gonna smack each other, they're gonna hit each other. This brings me to a second observation. This is why there is so much conflict in our world today. I hear that one. If God's so good, why is there so much evil? If God is so good, why did my marriage not last? If God is so good, why do my kids hate me? If God is so good, why are politicians so rotten? If God is so good, why is Hollywood such often such other extremes going in different directions? Well, here's the answer. Because God's doing things. He's moving. But we're all in here going our own direction. And sooner or later, we're going to collide. And we're going to run into things where, you know, my wife and myself are not going to agree on things. And we're going to crash. And we're going to hit each other. And there's going to be a lot of conflict in our world. Simple observation here. Here's another observation. Some people are actually moving somewhat in the direction of God sort of like this guy they're sort of going the right direction but it is only by chance they we want, we might call them good people you know that that person they're a good person You know, they're a good guy. And they happen to be going with God, but they have no relationship with God. They have uh, no connection with God. They don't know God. They don't know Jesus. You know, they haven't asked for salvation, forgiveness of sin, but they are good people. And the reality is, there are some people in our world that they're not Christian in any way, shape, or form. They're not religious, but they are good people. They're good. I know some doctors, they are definitely not Christians and not choosing God, but they're still a good person, but it's by chance. And they happen to just be going the same direction. But with that observation, there's another observation I need to make. There are some people in our world that are by chance going completely the opposite direction of God. Does that make sense? Just a random chance with all the people in the world. Some people are going against where God is going and what God is doing. And they're going in a full different direction than God. And maybe they're Satanists, maybe not. Maybe they're just evil, maybe they're not. But they are not going with God in any way, shape, or form. And this is now another observation, just making some observations here. You could actually begin to group some of these people together because catch this, a lot of people that might be going in the same direction will start to group together by affinity, by nature. Good people will hang out with good people. And guess what? Bad people tend to hang out with bad people. It's just the way nature happens. And then we start forming groups like Church around some of the good people that are going this way, and other groups form around other things. And you can have somebody, you know, like another religion that's not Christian in any way, shape, or form, but they will group together because they're all sort of heading the same direction. It's all making sense for us. And some people like the big group, and they're like, you know what? I'll bring my line in line with theirs because I sort of like what they're looking at there. And so you can start to see if you multiply this by millions of people, you're going to end up with natural groups Groups because some people are just going to be going in the same direction as other people. Okay, so does all those observations just make sense? Yes, No. A little bit. Here you with me? Hello, hello, hello. Okay. All right, so that's everybody. Let's knock everybody out and let's zero back in on me, my life, okay? Let's talk just a little bit, and it's not just my life. you know, that's a little bit of the reality here. Um, We need to, uh, we are all sort of in here. So I put my life in there, but we could all go in here. Now, the thing is, this, this would sum up my life. Because I am somewhat, for most of my life, been going in the direction of God. Somewhat. I grew up with good parents. It made me go to church. In fact, at an early age, my mom made me a drug addict. She drug me to Sunday school. She drugged me to worship. She drug me to CYC on Wednesday night. She drugged me to church every time the church was open. And so I grew up around the church, and some of you can can identify with that. You grew up because your parents made you go to church when you were growing up, and I was somewhat going in the direction of God. And I think this sums up a lot of people in the church today. Uh, They're going in somewhat the right direction, but there's also times in my life, and I'm sure there's times in some others of your lives as well, where we were not perfectly in line with God, doing some things that weren't perfectly in line with His will, and some of them probably were things that were going that way, totally against God's will, and it caused our line to just get off a little bit because we weren't always going in the same direction. Now, I hope that I'm moving and I hope that my life and I thank my parents, by the way, that for a majority of my life, it's been going sort of in the same way as God. So we really let's change this up a little bit because I'm talking a lot about me. Let's change. Let's go to the next slide here. Really, we could change this to our lives because guess what? We're in the church. And we're a group of like-minded people. Remember that other one with all the people going all sorts of directions? We end up gathering in churches because, by and large, we're going in the same direction. And so we sort of collect together because we have an affinity with one another. We're going in the general direction of God. But there's something else this diagram points out. With too many people... Even those who are generally headed in the direction of God, they are not connected with God. They're still sort of doing their own thing over here. They're just going in his direction. And this is where we really see this taking place inside the church. Inside the church, we end up with a lot of people going the right direction, and they're doing the right things because the church has these things called rules. And they've learned how to follow the rules. And so they're doing, they're making their lives, they're forcing their lives, sort of in where God is going, because of all the rules, and they're going the, the this direction. And the way that I like to call it, the way I label this so often is they're trying to play the cosmic scale. If I do enough right things and go God's way enough, he will like me and He will take me to heaven and I'll take care of my bill for hell. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm putting in my time at church. Have any of you met people that are going to church and all they're doing is putting in their time at church? Just so they don't go to hell. I had a, 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 a coffee with somebody yesterday morning, and uh, he's, he's exploring faith. And he said, you know, he went to church with his dad. And he said, you know, when I went to church, he goes, these people could quote scripture. I'm not going to say what, what they, it was down south, so a southern church, a lot more conservative. And he said, these people could quote scripture. They knew the Bible forward and backwards. They could tell you all about theology, tell you all about faith. And yet they live like hell. And he goes, as a kid, I saw it. And he said, I couldn't understand it. And guess what? He walked away from church. It doesn't make sense. And he said, literally, what I concluded is there must be a lot of people who go to church simply to pay the bill, and that's it. And I'm like, ooh, I use that. I use that same kind of thought, that same kind of idea. That we're simply trying to make sure enough of our good outweighs our bad that God will like us and will take care of our tickets. So we put in our time, we pay our bill, we go to church, and hopefully, when it's all said and done, I get to go to heaven when I die. But there's no relationship between. God and people, and a lot of people in church even. So we have to reckon with this a little bit. How do we deal with this? Let's go on. I'm going to come back, flip back to my life here for a second, okay? And here's what I find myself doing, and I think a lot of other people do as well. What we say, I want God's will for my life. We say that. I want God's will for my life. But what we mean, I want God to work in my life. But, and here's the big but, I want Him to fit into my will. Somehow I messed that sentence up. So we say this I want God's will for my life. I want God, you know, to, to, to show me what He wants me to do. But what we really mean is, I really want God to fit into my will and where I'm going, and what I'm doing. I want God to fit into this. See, did I put the other slide in here? Nope, not yet. Okay, let's go to the next slide. What we say, I want God's will for my life. What we mean, I want God to work in my life. And what we're really saying is that we want to, we want God to go in Our direction. My ideas about life, my my philosophies, my conclusions, my parenting style, you know, the way that I've chosen to live life, my morality. I want God to fit into me and where I am and my will. But let's go back to another picture and let's look at the ridiculousness of that. Jump to the next slide. Hopefully. Did it freeze? There we go. Look at this. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's even logical to think that God would ever fit into you and where you're going? Is it even logical? Uh Uh-uh. For no one and nobody... It's not logical that God is going to change, not even for an Abraham or a Moses or a King David. It's just not logical that this God would ever go like this to fit any of us. Just doesn't make sense. So this leaves us to a little bit of a dilemma. Oh, we got to look at that next slide there. That's a fun one. This will never work. I want God's will for my life. Well, really, I want God to work in my will. And it will never, ever work. It just can't work. So here's where the watchman all comes in. This is where this becomes really important. So I got some googly eyes. Let's put some googly eyes up here. Okay. So what we need to do then is we need to rethink this a little bit. How do we correct this? And we correct this by becoming watchmen. And that then becomes our job, becomes our goal, is I become a watchman. So here I am in my life, but the first thing that needs to happen is I start to see that, whoa, there's a God up there, and that God is big, and he's my, and He's up to something, he's doing something through all of human history, and I need to start watching for that. I need to start doing, seeing what he is doing. So let's zoom back out here for just a minute. We need to ask a question. From this perspective, if I am going to be watching what God is doing, let me ask you another logical question. Do you think it would be very hard for us to see from our perspective what God might be up to? Is it difficult? Probably not. If this is me and if this is God and all that He's done through all of human history and, and from ages past, because He has no beginning and no end, if this is God, the reality is it should not be very difficult for me to see what God is doing through all of this. It should be pretty easy to see what God is up to. And I believe it is easy for God to see. So let's go back to our googly eyes. We should watch and we should begin to see what God is doing and here's what happens then and this is a reversal of the norm so oftentimes we want God to come down and do what we are doing but here's what needs to happen let's go to the next slide As I begin to see what God is doing, I need to take my life and begin to ask the question, how can I fit my life into what God is doing? God will never come down and fit him into me. He's not going to do that. He can't do that. So how do I then take my little life and begin to mush it into what God is doing? So once I see where he is, once I see what, is he, what he's doing, how do I bring my life in line with that? How do I jump on, with, on board with where he is going? And here's the deal. If you're asking that question from that last slide, it's not difficult to see what God is doing. And if we're looking, we're going to start seeing that pretty clearly. And so we begin to look to God. We begin asking God, what are you up to? And God, how do I bring my life in line with yours? How do I get on board with what you're doing and where you're going? And God says, you know what? I have a big will and I have a plan even for your life. I have an idea of why you're here. I know why you're important. With all the junk that's happened in your past, with all the garbage, there is something that I designed you for and something I have in mind that you're gonna be able to start flowing. with me and going where I'm going. So when we see what God is doing, we then align our lives according to his will. So let's change this. This is what happens. Now that I see it, now I'm able to start bringing my life in line with him. And that's through all sorts of ways, through what he's up to, getting engaged in his activity, being about his work, being busy with what he's busy with, changing sin out of my life, because I know that's not something he wants. And I'm going to bring those things in line. The way that I interact with my family, the way that I interact with folks at work, the way that I do church, I'm going to start as best I can. Now that I see it, I'm going to start bringing all those pieces of my life in line with who he is and where he's going. Now this cellular becomes really cool. Let's go back to another big picture. Here's me again. At least now I'm moving in God's direction. But let's be honest. The me is so unimportant, so little, so minuscule. And I know this might sound a little depressing, but so small compared to all the span of just human history. You know, I've, I've uh, walked through enough funerals to realize once somebody dies, we all pretty much forget them within about a year. It's just a reality. Maybe your sons and your daughters may remember you, and they still may honor you and still go to the grave. But let's be honest, if it was an uncle, a cousin, if it was a distant relative, if it was a neighbor and they died, oh, I'd give it six months and you pretty much forgot about them. Until an occasional time when you see something that reminds you of them, pretty much they're out of your thinking. And one day, that will be me. I hope my kids remember me for at least a month. Don't know if they will. But you know what the reality is? My grandkids they won't remember me once I'm gone. And when we start understanding, we back out and we start looking at this, we start to come to the realization that, you know what? In all reality, you and I are not that important. We're not. But now let me give you some powerfully, unbelievably great, good news. So we're going to go on a little bit when I bring my life in line with God's and I start going God's direction, there is a miracle that begins to transpire and something unbelievable that begins to take place. So let's go to the next slide. All of a sudden, the me starts to become a lot, lot bigger. Do you think any of us would even know who the Apostle Paul was if he never gave his heart to Jesus Christ. How many, let's vote here, just to make sure you're still around. How many of you think we would have never known the Apostle Paul had he not given his his life to Jesus Christ? I would say no. We would not have a clue as to who he was. But because the Apostle Paul brought his life in line with God's and gave his heart to Jesus Christ at some point there, all of a sudden, we talk about the Apostle Paul quite a bit on Sunday mornings. You read a lot about him and a lot about the things, or a lot, you read a lot of his writings that he wrote. In fact, a majority of the New Testament was written by the hand of Paul or by his words, and somebody wrote it down for him. But those letters, much of the New Testament, is because the apostle, he would have been a nobody had it not been for him bringing his life through God's grace in line with where God is going. And you know what? The same thing is true of you and of me. We're totally unimportant, and the only thing that makes us important is when I begin to move with God, doing His will, doing His work, and God, through His grace, through Jesus Christ, allows me to come in relationship with Him. So let's jump to another slide here. This takes on, this happens as this happens. When God moves into my life, when I seek his forgiveness, when I seek to be in a relationship with him, God moves into my life, and now he empowers me to begin doing his will. And that only happens as we become watchmen, as we're watching, as we're careful to see where is God doing and what is God do, what is God up to. So let me share a passage of Scripture with you, and and we're wrapping up. We're coming to the end. If you got the pictures, you got the idea. This is one of my favorite New Testament passages because it sums up where I live so often. Uh, Mark chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, he's the quickest to record this. So Mark chapter 9, uh, Jesus goes up on the mountain, the prelim to this. Jesus goes up on the mountain, he's transfigured, and uh, he meets with Elijah and Moses, then he meets with God, his clothes shine like white as snow, he begins to glow, the disciples freak out. But then they come back down the mountain, and they come back down into the middle of an argument. And I want to read this argument, this, this thing, this commotion that's going on that they walk right down into. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it is often throwing him into the fire and the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus asked, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and you spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. I love this statement that the dad makes, but as I was working on this this week, I think that that actually isn't the important thing. I think there's a major, but we make that a major. But I love that statement. The dad says, I want to believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Any of you ever been there? I want to believe. I want to see what you're doing, Jesus. I want your will to happen. I want to see you working in this church. I want to see you working in my life. I want to see you working in the world. We all know the world needs you. I want to see that. Help me overcome my unbelief. And what does Jesus do? He heals the boy. He helps the guy overcome his unbelief. He heals him. But what happens is fascinating. Because in Jesus helping this, this father overcome his unbelief, he actually throws the disciples into chaos they begin to freak out. Now put this in perspective a little bit. Jesus' disciples, they've seen the miracles. They've seen the the fish and the loaves multiplied. They've seen Jesus calm the storm. They've seen Jesus walk on water. They've seen Jesus heal the blind and the lame and the deaf. They've seen Jesus drive out uh, demons and throw them into a herd of pigs. They have seen all of this already up to this point. All of these miracles they have witnessed. In fact, In fact, Jesus even told the disciples a few chapters earlier, he told the disciples, it's now your turn. You go out and you do what I've been doing. And he sends them into the villages. And you know what they do? They go into the villages and they they bring blessing into the village and they begin to bless people and they are healed. They begin to pray over people and demons leave. So this is the disciples, not Jesus. The disciples are casting out demons and they're healing people. They're doing this by Jesus' authority. He said, go do this. And they went and they did this. And now all of a sudden, they've seen this happen before. They've done this before. All of a sudden, this guy brings this boy with this demon and they can't cast this demon out. And they freak out. Jesus just says, be gone. And the guy's gone. The demon's gone. And so they're like, whoa, hang on. Is our faith, and then Jesus says, this can, you know, it comes out, it's your faith that helped this boy be healed. And so the disciples are, wait, 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 is our faith that small? Is something messed up? Did we not catch something here? And they're freaking out. And they then come to Jesus and they ask Jesus, why couldn't we drive that demon out? Is our faith too small, Jesus? And what did Jesus reply? I thought this was fascinating. This is the, this is the key. He says, this kind can only come out by prayer. What does this mean? The disciples couldn't drive this demon out because they had to have God's authority working through them in order to have authority over this particular demon. And they had not gotten God's authority on this one. And I think this is so key. We want to see power. We want to see God do mighty things. But we have to remember, it is never, never, ever us that is doing this work. It is only through God, prayer, that His authority is anointed to us to then be able to do His work And Jesus is bringing this up here with the disciples. You have to connect to God. It's not you who drove out the demons in the first place. It's not you who healed people in the first place. It is only God's authority working through you. So let me just wrap all this up and give you a couple summaries here. Number one, if this is going to happen, the very first thing that has to happen, you have to be in a relationship with God. If you are not in a relationship with God, you are never going to be able to accomplish the things of God. You're never going to be able to walk His way. You're never going to be able to fulfill His will. You're never going to be able to see miracles. You're never going to be able to see your kids turn out and be okay. Those things will never happen. They don't stand a chance if you're not in God's will, if you're not in a relationship with Him, moving in His direction. Secondly, you have to know God's Word. You have to know the Bible. I've become fairly vocal And don't please, don't run out of here and take this wrong Till you hear me all the way out. I am becoming more and more, uh, I don't like Bible studies. I don't like Bible studies, and here's why. Because Bible studies fill us with a ton of head knowledge about God, but they never change the direction of our lives. Now, I'm not saying Bible study is a bad thing. We need Bible study. But the point of Bible study isn't to know more God. The point of Bible study is to know who God is so that my life can walk with God. That's why I love discipleship. Because Bible study asks, what did you learn from the Bible today? Discipleship asks, how did you change your life because of what you saw in the Bible today? It's small, but it's a huge, big nuance of a difference. And so I'm all for that. We need discipleship. And the text of our discipleship, our our textbook, is the Bible because it shows us God's will. And we need to be in the Bible. We need to understand who God is. We need to understand what he wants for us. But not so we have head knowledge so that we can change our lives. Jesus said the biggest two things we can do is love God and love our neighbors. And we all can know that. How many of you know that that's the greatest two commandments? How many of you know that? Come on, how many of you know that the greatest two commandments is to love God and love our neighbor? How many of you struggle with doing that? You see, that's where the difference comes. I can know that all day long, but how do I start loving my neighbor? How do I start loving God more? And that's all about discipleship. And so we need to have a study of God's word, but it needs to change us and it needs to shift the direction. Even if you're sort of going in God's direction, the Bible helps us bring our our lives fully in line with God. We have to know his word. Thirdly, you have to measure your life against God's, not against other people. So often we get wrapped up in measuring our life against this person or that person or this person. Well, at least I didn't kill somebody. At least I didn't rip off my boss, you know, and uh, do a whole fraud thing. But, you know, so I took some light bulbs from work. No big deal. You know, and we spend so much time comparing ourselves, not against God, with everybody else that lives down here. And where I need to compare myself is with God. Not against the pastor, not against your discipler, not against somebody else at church. Our comparison, when we know who God is, is to start comparing ourselves to Him. We need to fit our lives into His will. So a fourth idea this teaches us is we have to do everything we can do. Now, praise God. He did the impossible, and he brought us into relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. So that's the impossible we could not accomplish. But now we have some responsibility over this. And I need to do everything I can do to bring my life in line with him everything. If I want to see this happen, if I want to flow in his power, if I want to see his work happen in my life, if I want to be where he is and go where he's going and end up in the same place, I need to do everything I can to get rid of some things, to add some things, to change some things. So this line gets more and more perfectly in line with his will. The Bible tells us, this is why the New Testament spends so much time on this. The New Testament tells us that we're to do everything we can to get sin out of our lives and then confess sin that we have in our lives so that we can bring our lives in line with God. And finally, as Jesus said, we have to pray. We will never have God's power involved in our lives if we are not seeking Him. I've been telling folks lately, I'm a guy, and one of the things I have as a guy is I tend to want to fix things. I want to solve things on my own. But how ridiculous would it be for any of us to go to work and start doing our job and never ask our boss what he wants us or she wants us to do today? You might find yourself a week down the road, clear down here, and your boss is like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait! I wanted you up here doing this." We have to connect to the boss. And the same thing is true for us in our spiritual lives. That's called prayer. It's every day, everything that I'm doing, everything that my life is, is involved in, all the problems I'm trying to solve. Am I going to get laid off? Am I going to have my job? You know, is COVID going to hit our family? What's it going to do to us? Da-da-da-da-da-da, a billion other things. Have you stopped and talked to God and simply asked God today, God, what do you want me to do about all of this? What direction do I need to go? How do you point me in the right place? Where are you going with all this? And how do I fit into this? We need to pray. I love the idea, the concept of the watchman. I think it's a cool and a great concept. I want to be on the watch. In this life, my duty is to be watching for what God is doing. And then when I see what God is doing and I see where God is working, I need to do everything I can to bring my life in line with him. So literally, we are all watchmen. The cool thing was, I was thinking about this, this has been a tradition that's been handed down for thousands of years. In fact, it was 18 centuries from the promise of Abraham to the birth of Jesus Christ. 18 centuries and a couple thousand years that the Jews became watchmen. They were watching and they were waiting for the Messiah to come. And then that tradition was passed right over onto Christianity or into the Christian, Christian movement. It was passed over to us that just because Jesus came didn't mean God was done with his movement. We are also called to be waiting and watching to see, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? Where are you moving in our world? How can I join you in what you're doing? How can I be a part of that movement? We are indeed, in so many ways today, still watchmen. But we can only be watchmen if we have a relationship with God, if we know His Word, if we measure our lives against Him, not others, if we confess and fix anything in our lives that we can fix, and if we pray, asking His power to infill us. And here's the thing. When we do that as a church... God's authority begins to move inside His church. And when His authority begins to move inside of us, what did the disciples do? Everybody they touched and blessed were healed. And demons shuddered and took off. Do we see that in the church today? Do we want to see that in the church today? When God's authority begins to move through His people, God's power comes with that. Amazing things begin to happen, not for our glory but because we're now moving with God in what he's doing. We are indeed watchmen. Dear Heavenly Father, as we walk through this season of Advent, Advent, we are in a season of waiting and watching. And I pray that all of us will be watching. And that we as a church, as individuals and corporately, will be watching what are you doing in our community? What are you doing in our neighbors, in our relatives? And how can I join you in what you're doing? May we be constantly on the watchtower looking through our lives to see your movement, to see what you are doing so that we can jump out of the tower and go join you in that work. So, Father, reveal Yourself to us. I don't think it's a long stretch. I think it's pretty easy to see who You are and what You're doing. Father, unveil our eyes so that we may see Your work in our world. And may we bring glory to You because we've joined You in that work. So, God, this week, I pray You do some miracles. I pray You do some amazing things. I pray we can come back next Sunday and maybe hear some reports, some stories of how you've moved in our discipleship groups that are meeting throughout the week. God, I pray they'll be filled with some amazing stories because I saw God do this. I saw him do this in my life. I saw you do this in my world. May God, may you bring us back pregnant with all the stories of what you're doing around us so that we can see your work. I thank you, God, that you were not involved way back at creation and you got involved a little bit through Jesus, and then you've taken off, I am so glad, God, that you are still actively involved and engaged in our world yet today. Thank you. Amen. Amen.